following is a Secure Foundation broadcast. If you do not have the proper security clearance to listen to this broadcast, please turn off your listening device now and turn yourself in to the police. Our personnel will take it from there. Commencing playback of deadly auditory cognito hazard in 3, 2, 1. Hello, and welcome to the Secure Contained Podcast, a show that explains and discusses every aspect of the SCP Foundation, one topic at a time. I'm your co-host, David. And I'm your co-host, Soren. And today we're talking about Tails. Uh, Tails. Yeah. I mean... A very big part of the thing, because there's basically (laughs) another type of writing on the site. Isn't that basically that all of it? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Other than, like, skips, there's Tails and not much else... (laughs) I think technically everything's one of those. Well, like, and tr- I guess, I guess <laughs> they're, maybe they're they're one of the big main categories. Yeah, and they're just stories in universe usually, but basically any anything that could be considered a story in universe is usually called a tale. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, um, and in universe is loose because canon is up to the reader, or in this case, the author. Yeah. Um, real quick, I'm going to uh, read some of the information right off the Tales Hub. It's, um, if you go right to the homepage of SAP and you go under Tales and then Foundation Tales, uh, you'll get it right here. It said, uh, this archive, it, this is an archive of basically all of the different tales that are, are known. Um, it says, this archive is designed to organize a foundation tales by author name and as, and as such is organized alphabetically. If you discover that a tale is absent, please contact either the tale author or someone from technical team for assistance. Following pages have been utilized to display excerpts, the first string of 200 characters from the pages pulled by modules to customize your own tale excerpt, put a following code. Um, but yeah, it's it's one of the one of the easier ways to find different tales that you may want to read. Yeah, there is a top rated tales page that I couldn't find a link to, but it's basically uh, scp-wiki.net/slash/top-rated-tales, I believe. Just mm-hmm. like search top rated tales SCP, and you should get it. Yeah, and yeah, most of the stuff you can't find it directly through the site. You can just Google it. Yeah, power of the internet. Ooh, <laughs> that works. Sounds like you just said power of the internet. Ooh, that's because I did. Oh, all right. Well. <laughs> all right. Uh, anyways, um, yeah. So we're we're gonna read off. Um, speaking of those top rated tales, we're we're gonna read off some of them. Uh, the first one I think you said I can read, right? Uh, was um, black white black white black white black white black white black white. I. Yep. And and gray also gray. Yes, gray. Also. I was trying to get there. Yeah. Um. So uh, yeah. If you want to go ahead and read along, you can. Uh, yesterday, I watched three men die because one man sneezed in a room full of blood and shit and light. Today, three more men go in, sheep mops and each other's lives in their hands. Yesterday, I watched a man I admire gunned down for leaving a rose for a girl whose life was tattered by trauma she never deserved. Today, she doesn't remember, and three halls down, I can hear her screaming. Yesterday, I watched a group of soldiers go down fighting against the corpses of comrades who died before them. Today, we test another sample, this time on children. Oh, God. Yesterday, I watched five men and women gunned down in an abandoned factory no one cares about. Today, it happens again and again, every 11 seconds, forever. Yesterday, I watched a man sit comfortably in a nice armchair, sipping scotch and laughing as he ordered a woman to simply stop breathing. Today, he gets the day off of work, detail for good behavior. 
Yesterday, I watched hundreds of men and women in orange jumpsuits herded like animals into empty rooms that filled with gas and fire. Today, hundreds more are told they have a chance for a lighter sentence and a chance to serve their country. Yesterday, I watched the world nearly die in a thousand, in a thousand thousand terrible ways. Sometimes we would have had time to scream. Today, I'm alive to write about it. You want happy endings? Fuck you. You're allowed to read it. God help us all. Secure, contain, protect. Okay, so that was morbid. Um, it's basically like the morals that they do what they have to. Okay. To protect everyone. Yeah. <laughs> I just I love just you want happy endings. Fuck you. You're alive to read it. Um, which you know is a fair point, but also um, yeah, dictatorship. Um, but it's whatever. yeah. Well, I guess. But you know, D class did bad things. They're bad people. So. Hmm. True. Yeah, I guess. All right. Uh, Kill six eighty two is the next one. We're doing some of the top, some of the higher rated ones before we get into some specific examples of various things. Yeah. Uh, various different types of things. Um, actually, all the ones that we have after the first three are different examples of types of tales, which I mm-hmm. didn't realize. And actually, no, I did realize that was completely intentional. <laughs> totally. Do not question it, was it. Not a coincidence. This is entirely planned out. Mm-hmm. We are professionals. This short one is Kill 682, and Dr. Bright is the immortal one who the amulet transfers his consciousness to things and is usually in a monkey nowadays for canon Mm -hmm. (laughs) because for some reason, I don't remember why. Um, Dr. Bright stirred his coffee with a spoon, taking a long moment to savor the aroma. One unusual aspect of his bond with 963 is that certain sensations were different in each body he occupied. Colors were slightly different, smells triggered different emotions, and coffee... Cheap instant coffee was unusually good in this body. Who knew that the chimpanzee's taste buds and instant coffee got along so well? Good morning, old chap. Dr. Kane's nails clicked on the tile floor as he trotted into the break room. Got some good news and some bad news. First, the good news. 682 escaped again last night. How the hell is that the good news? Well, after killing 692 guards on his way out, he stole a car and went on an alcoholic bender across two states. Dr. Bright furrowed his brow. (laughs) You're pulling my leg. Is that if that is the good news? Kane barked happily. I'm not done yet. 682 wrapped the car around a tree at 150 miles an hour. The airbag did not deploy. The big bad lizard is dead. Of course, Dr. Bright said. Drunk driving. Why didn't we think of this sooner? Well, what is the bad news? It was your car. <laughs> uh, drunk driving destroys lives. Don't do it, okay? Brought to you by Mad uh, ITCWYS. Monkeys against drunk driving in their car, which you stole. <laughs> So, yeah, don't drink and drive. It killed unkillable lizards. It'll kill you. Oh, right. Yeah, I forgot about them. Okay, that makes sense, yeah. Yeah. I, I like that one. <laughs> I, 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 yeah, I, I like the way that it's formatted. of just, well, after killing 792 guards on his way out, stole a car and went on an alcoholic bender across two states. Um, uh, okay. <laughs> He's dead because of it. <laughs> Why didn't we think plot armor can't save drunk driving? <laughs> plot armor can't save you from public service announcements mm-hmm. okay yeah. um the next one is a little bit more humorous uh it's, this one is, is from the acid verse the cool war something that's probably a canon that we'll get to eventually but we're not going to tr- explain it for now so just have fun mm-hmm. yeah so it, it's it's titled wowie go kill your cephal spelled wrong I'll, there are a lot of typos in this um yeah, so three people have died from your exhibition. They signed waivers. I've got people breathing down my neck here. They all signed waivers. They knew what they were getting into. They were consenting adults. 
uh, Ruiz de Champ's uh, latest exhibition was, he believed, his masterpiece, an installation that had taken him five months in total to construct. While we go kill yourself, was his homage to, to stupidity. He had jumped through so many hoops to absolve himself of responsibility, and yet he was still being slammed by the man. It's ridiculous. They're demanding you get rid of the small smallpox. One of the most popular parts of Wowie was stab yourself with nettles. It was simply an open box containing needles with samples of the most virulent diseases and deadly poisons in the history of mankind. This is how one of the people had died after willfully injecting himself with a deadly dose of everything. I won't compromise the integrity of the piece to accommodate for morons. You're going to have to, and the blades have to go too. The, the noisiest pieces in the hall, shove your figners in blads number one through five, were simply high-rotation carbon steel circular saws. They had been painted in bright primary colors, but in, besides that, they were perfectly normal and could easily remove a hand. Two hands have been willfully removed by critics. There are warnings everywhere. The whole point of the pieces is to put people in easily avoidable but very real danger. If you contextualize any of it, it's worthless. Not good enough. You're marching to the drum of the man. I'm trying to save people's lives. You're trying to save idiots who shove their fingers into bloody saws. The name of the piece told them to. Hell, at least I didn't name anything jump off a bridge. What a catastrophe that would have been. Every piece in the exhibit was designed to kill, or at the very least, grievous, grievously injure. The one fear that Ruiz had was that some particularly idiotic person would use them to kill, or at the very least, grievously injure another person. Fortunately, this had not yet occurred. We've already taken the C4 from you. What? Nobody even used press button for fireworks. <laughs> this is downright puritanical. Safety comes first. You can't pull shit like this in my gallery. You're ruining the vision. You saw it before. The, works ha the work has been recontextualized because weren't breathing down my fucking neck. You need to make everything safe or you need to get it out of here. I regret it and I know you love the piece, but people are just too stupid of it. That is the purpose of the work. If you're too stupid to not know how to sit in an electric chair and pull the lever, it's your own damn fault. Their blood is my canvas. I know, I get it. We get it somewhere else. Sorry. Reese was disappointed. He walked into his favorite room, packed in the box of cyanide pills, saying, saying, complimentary, please take one. He moved past the automatic countdown guillotines. He looked passively behind. Here, here, Polly with these nibs. He had one piece that he'd been saving for a particularly disappointing event. He closed the airtight door and breathed slowly. Everyone was a fucking idiot. Nobody got it. Nobody really got it. As he turned the knob, liquid nitrogen sprayed across his scalp and flesh. His final thoughts were that it didn't matter. At least he got it. He really got it. And that was all I needed. Take shower to be cool. <laughs> yep. Alright, so it's an artist who uh, basically is putting people in situations that they don't have to do anything. Um, but if, And if they do, they'll hurt themselves. But they do it anyway. Because mm -hmm. human stupidity. Like something people would do. Yeah. Sounds like something some artists would do. But it's like actually actors or something. Mm-hmm. But it's supposed to still be a statement. I'm going to stop talking about the real life. <laughs> it's a statement, um, okay? You wouldn't understand. Yeah. All right. So um, just a little kind of slightly festive note. There's one tale that is, I believe, the featured tale of the week um, called How Dr. Clef Contained Christmas. And I love it, um, but we're, we're not, not going to read it. We're not going to read it because there's, there, yeah, there's an already a reading file. on the page of it. Um it's done in the whole poem format of like how the Grinch stole Christmas, basically. Yeah, it's and it it's like rhymes and it's in A A B B format, I think. Yeah, don't um, quote me. I, but it's it's great, and there's an eight minute long audio file. That's I, I yeah. love it. Well, yeah, it's it's it's, great. it's from what I can tell, it's it's basically just the Grinch uh, stole Christmas, but how they contained Christmas, and also there's like kind of a plot twist at the end, but you know just. 
read it. Um, listen to it. Yeah, that too. But also, this read is along. your quest of the day. Yeah, that's that's your homework. Yes, we we will test you next week mm-hmm. to make sure that you actually did it. Never mind, I haven't actually fully read it, but whatever. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, ignore the fact that neither of us have fully read it. All right, but you don't know that, so it's fine. Yeah, um, we might have to improvise tales later. Whatever. Mm-hmm. All right, next next tale. Um, this one is by someone who who I know runs uh, one of the Tumblr accounts. Well, not doesn't run it like solo, but they're on there a lot. And um, basically, they're just a pretty chill person. And that's uh, the author's name is like Blair Roth, and it's called Waffling About. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is in Law Foundation, which is basically where all the joke things go. But there is an actual rule to the canon, and it's that everyone, every major like researcher that people generally would recognize the name of, is a high level reality bender. But they use it to just kind of make jokes because they're kind of insane, mostly insane, <laughs> only suddenly, um, you know. They just use it to make jokes, bring people back from the dead, so that they can just do random. It's it's all jokes. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Clef's dreams were shattered when his alarm decided to scream in his face. His eyes cracked open as a lazy hand fumbled to turn off the alarm. Another day, another 5 a.m. start, and another struggle to get out of the comfort of his bed. Shut up, he grumbled, his hand still trying to find the snooze button for the alarm. In the end, he knocked the clock to the floor. It beeped its last beep, coaxing a pleased grunt from its owner. Although the funny-eyed man was comfy in his bed, he knew that he had to get up. It was a special day. It was Waffle Day, and there was not a chance in hell he'd miss his favorite breakfast, not again. Clef slowly sat up in his bed, stretching his arms out and cracking his back before he got up. Across his room lay strewn various clothing items and useless papers. It was normal, but he could never help but feel slightly guilty about the state of the room. The thought quickly passed as he made his way out of his room and into his little kitchen. It was Waffle Time, and there was no point in pouting over something like the mess on his floors right now, even though it was getting really bad. (laughs) Clef opened the kitchen cupboard. A Cheshire smile crawled across his face at the sight of at least five packets of waffles laying on the shelves. He pulled out a pack and opened it, causing one to fall to the floor. Oop, five-second rule, he chirped, bending down slowly to pick up the fallen waffle comrade to wipe it off in his blue pajamas. Into the toaster they went, the entire packet of four waffles, including the floor waffle. Clef pushed down the little lever on the side of the toaster, and in they went to cook. He didn't bother going anywhere whilst they cooked. He loved the smell that came out of the toaster as they got warmer and warmer. A few moments later, and pop went the toaster. Clef jolted a little bit, but laughed it off. Silly ass toaster, he mumbled, still not fully awake. The waffles were finally ready. He grabbed a plate from another cupboard and pulled the waffles from the toaster, not caring how much he burned his fingers in the process. Plop. Onto the plate they went, one by one, and piled on top of each other in a proud waffle tower. The old man near threw himself onto his couch. There was a maple syrup bottle on the coffee table that he'd gotten ready the night before. He grabbed the bottle and squirted syrup all over his waffles. At last, Clef could eat his waffles. The beginning of a good, productive day started with the golden brown waffles. He didn't bother with a knife or fork. Most of them were dirty and in the sink or on the floor. He just picked up a syrup-covered waffle in his hand and started to chow down. Any syrup that dripped on his PJs was slowly scooped up with a bit of waffle. And then, of course, I started getting too much syrup on my PJs, so I had to take them off slowly. 058 interrupted. As fascinating as it would be to listen to you try to turn that soft, sagging body into an object of erotic fixation, (laughs) I think we're going to get back to the matter at hand. I'll ask you again, and no tales about waffle time. 
What have you been doing since you left the site on the 8th, over 60 hours ago? Sensing that his ability to BS might not carry him through this, Clef tried again. Well, that's an incredible tale of mystery and wonder I called Lord Shittington drops the kids at the pool. <laughs> Clef winces his superiors list thin significantly. And why are significant portions of Atlantic City, New Jersey, including the casino that happens to be the site of the last recorded activity of your credit card, on fire? <laughs> Clef swallowed deeply. I can promise this was vaguely work-related. Is that work in any way related to a document on your desk labeled My Master Gambling Plan? Five eight <laughs> no. held up a forestalling hand as Clef opened his mouth. No, enough. It's my finding that you are in gross dereliction of your duties as director of Site 66, and the following restrictions are to be placed upon you. The O5 was cut off as Clef produced a waffle out of one of his lab coat pockets. It was already half-eaten and still covered in dry syrup, which had stained the pocket and picked up God only knows what. A crunching sound broke the silence between the O5 and Clef as he started to eat it. O5-8 finally piped up. The following restrictions are, he was cut off again by Clef making eye contact while slowly eating the stale <laughs> waffle. O5-8 did not have the time nor patience for this. Out, he said firmly, pinching the bridge of his nose. Just get out, Clef. Clef grinned with a large amount of waffle still in his mouth and stuck to his teeth. He placed what remained of the waffle on O5-8's desk as if it was some sort of parting gift and left the waffle with a small skip in his step and another waffle from another pocket. I, I want to I say two things real quick. Um, one, I really, really hope that someone has made, like, an animation out of this, because this is, is I don't great. know if there's animations, but there is many, many different arts that yeah. have been sent to the person who created Clef, who, that have been sent to Dr. Clef yeah. on Tumblr. Okay. And yeah. he hates it. Because <laughs> it, it sounds amazing. And also... There's um, one of Dr. Clef leaning down to... By the way, Roth, Dr. Roth is a cat who is okay. just can speak, but holding a waffle towards the cat saying this is your legacy and it's my favorite image anyone's ever drawn if i can find hold on if if i can find um who made that image later um i'll to i'll credit them i guess i'll okay. yeah, we'll figure it out i don't know the the other thing i want to say is um the first like half of this before o5 interrupts him sounds like a lot like a wattpad uh <laughs> story <laughs> it's just fan fiction but like, written actually well, it is kind of technical yeah i mean fiction. that the way the way that it's written sounds a lot like something that would be written on wattpad and I, the fact that i know that kind of scares me um but <laughs> we all had our time uh, yeah uh yeah. <laughs> you just, um you just sounded so like yeah. resigned like ugh, yeah. yeah um but yeah i just i just thought that was funny yeah um yeah kind of is i guess Okay. Uh, yeah. So basically, those first two are just kind of an example of there are lots of tales that are just kind of funny, because you can write basically whatever you want as a ta- like SAPs. You need to get them approved. Well, you don't need to. You don't need to get them approved. You can technically just upload them to the list. Don't do that though. You should get them approved and reviewed and like critiqued. But mm-hmm. for tales, I'm pretty sure you can just upload them since they're not listed on any list other than the alphabetical tales. So yeah, though I believe they still can be deleted. So, okay. Uh, the next one we have is um in the clutches of life. Uh, it's called in the clutches of life, which is within the canon hub, which is uh then within the end of death hub, which we mentioned last episode, I believe. Yeah, um, that's what we were. That's we spent a while talking about that. And basically, mm-hmm. this is this. This is, I believe, the starter tale that kind of explains what happened. Um, yeah, and, and it, it's it, essentially like the start of the canon. And this is another thing: it, it's that canons are like where tales are usually like written for because yeah. canons aren't just which scps are canon in this one and which aren't because that's 
because again, canon is up to the reader. Yeah. Th- there's like it's a lot of, of most well known. A lot of them ones. are based off of yeah. almost. Okay. Yeah, one and, of the most well known ones. Sorry, is Broken Masquerade, which is just the foundation is revealed, and that can't be told through like a skip. It's got to be a tale. So, this is really where tales come to like. Okay. Prosper. Yeah, and so if if I remember correctly, the end of Death Hub is where basically like it's an AU where like or not necessarily an AU, but it's it's where like people don't die. Yeah, death is no longer a thing for anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I know so we went a lot over of issues with that. I know we went over that one SCP in particular that like made within the end of Death Hub it made people die. It's like kind of like the sweet release. Yeah, is, it was just as a, funny as it's it just sounds. A knife that kills people if it, the knife would kill people, but it works in end of death. Mm-hmm. okay uh yeah so i'm gonna go ahead and read it um yep. once again this is called in the clutches of life uh a woman watched her father's chest rise and fall from the chair next to his hospital bed the heartbeat monitor beeped in time with the song she listened to with through her headphones she wished she could spend her last visit chatting but that's difficult to do with the unconscious besides she'd end up repeating the same introduction from the last 23 visits the whole hello hello have we met yes i'm uh i'm your daughter that can't be right. I have two sons. Way to beat. Well, yes, you did also have two sons, but you also had me. Where are they? Eric is currently working in the field, so he can't make it, and uh, Tony's no longer with us. But I'm still here. Eric and Tony? I thought my boys were named Andrew and Joseph. No, but actually, never mind. Can you get the nurse for me? I think my bed needs readjusting. Sure, Dad. Get up to leave. Wait, what was your name again? Joyce. You named me Joyce. And then get the nurse. Joyce had gone through the motions every time she visited, except this last time. Each of those 23 times, Joyce felt a sting in her chest and wished her father would just go back to sleep. But now Joyce got her wish, and she realized that 24 is a nice number than is a nicer number than 23. Too bad they'll miss a chance. Mm-hmm. Ten trained soldiers approach the dusty warehouse near the docks. So I guess these are a couple different stories. Uh, yeah, they are. Okay. Uh, ten so trains... Kind of go back and forth. Okay. Ten trains... So it's like two stories in one. Okay. Uh, yeah, ten trained so. soldiers. Dual narrative. Yeah. Ten trained yeah. Yeah, <laughs> Ten trained off, soldiers. Oh, no. no, you're fine. <laughs> Approach to Dusty Ware. Stop! No. <laughs> okay, you're going to stop talking, I'm and I'm going to keep talking. talking. There All we right, go. I'm stopping talking now. Okay. Ten trained soldiers. I promise. Soren. <laughs> Ten trans soldiers approached the dusty warehouse near the docks. The crashing of waves against the rocky shoreline washed out any noise made by MTF Iota 10. The team lined up next to the back entrance. A back... Oh, fuck. <laughs> the team lined up next <laughs> to the back entrance. Um, Captic... Oh, my God. <laughs> Sorry. Captic. Captain Ooh. Eric Michaels held up two fingers and a thumb. An instruction. Three. His thumb retracted, leaving the two fingers. One. Or two. One. <laughs> God, you missed. I'm gonna... Okay, I'm gonna start over just from this. <laughs> Ten trained soldiers approached the dusty warehouse near the docks. The crashing of waves against the rocky shoreline washed out any noise made by MTF Iota 10. The team lined up next to the back entrance. Captain Eric Michaels held up two fingers and a thumb. An instruction. Three. His thumb retracted, leaving the fingers. Two. One. Michaels kicked in the door and Marquez threw a flashbang. The team plugged their ears and turned away from the door just long enough for the grenade to go off. Bang! Then charged in behind it. Guns out. Bullets sprayed. Some guards hit the ground. Others dove behind Marshall, Carter, and uh, dark branded crates. The rest took late, led to the chest. And then cut. As Joyce's song finished, she stood up from her seat. She looked at the nurse, politely leaning against the doorframe. Joyce couldn't remember how long the nurse had been standing there. It could have been minutes, it could have been hours. It's about time. 
Yeah, I know, Joyce replied. She glanced down at her dad again. He held one of his pillow cl- uh, he's held one of his pillows close, like a child with a favorite teddy bear. Right, I'm on my way, she said to herself. We'll, you, we'll tell you when it's over. The nurse called after Joyce, who half ran out of the room. Joyce refused to cry, but that didn't stop her from shaking. She took a seat in the waiting area and just rocked back and forth, trying to calm herself. She'd done worse in her day job. She'd, she'd lost lives before. Hell, she'd lost her own family before. Although it does feel less real when they're ripped apart by eldritch abominations or succumbed to mimetic hazards. Why does this have one have to feel so real? Concrete? Palpable? Genuine? Michaels popped out from behind a forklift and shot a few rounds at the men across from him. MC and Dean must have doubled their details since the last raid. He was already out of ammunition, and his team was running low altogether. A quick scan counted about 12 bogeys left. Michaels turned to the private next to him. Turner, give me cover. Where you headed, Sarge? You see that crate over there? Yep. How much you bet this shipment's part of a weaponry order? Turner opened his mouth to speak, but Michaels held his finger to Turner's lips. Trick questions. Ever tell me the odds? Just get going, Solo. Michael smiled and darted towards his pri- toward his prize as Turner let loose another round of bullets. A sharp pain shot up Michael's leg. Clean shot through the calf. The adrenaline can- carried him the crate. Michael's cut the straps with a tactical knife and then shot the lock off. The side of the crate fell open on its own. Michael's grin grew a little wider. So normal? Joyce looked up to see Nicklo. Sorry, thought it was worth coming inside to check in on you. Also, the car is getting stuffy. Nicklo took a seat next to Joyce. He had volunteered to drive her back when the deed was done, since she probably wouldn't be in a good headspace to be safe on the road. It also helps he has a name, not a number, Nicklo continued. Not helping. Sorry, thought I'd just take your mind off of it. Can you just be quiet, please? Right. Sorry. Joyce returned to rocking as Nicklo watched her. He put her head- she put her headphones in on again, but didn't play any music. She just wanted to pressure up against her ears to give, that, give her that feeling of isolation, the illusion of being alone in a crowded room. Are you sure you need to be here for this? We can just- I said shut up! It's not your dad you're pulling the plug on, so just shut up. The waiting room went silent. Joyce looked around, the color drained from her face. Just as her gaze reached the entrance, the nurse arrived, also looking pale. Um, Mrs. Michaels? Yes? I believe the doctor would like to, um, show you something. Michaels grabbed one of the four devices. Uh, after untangling the device's tubes, wires, and plastic casings, he managed to get a grip on the thing. Michaels was about to break every rule that pounded into they pounded into his head during trainer training. He stood up from behind the crates and pulled the trigger. There was no recoil, no noise, nothing, except a large hole that opened up in the security guards Michaels had aimed at. Now, to rinse and repeat. Michael aimed to take another shot. A bullet caught one of his one of the tubes. Michaels collapsed, started screaming, and tried to hold the side of his body that just wasn't there anymore. Joyce nearly ran to the room. She flung open the door. A single long beep rung in their ears. The heart monitor had gone flat. Joyce's dad looked over from the hospital bed, finally awake. Who are you? After the firefight died down, Michael's screams could still be heard throughout the building. Even with all the blood loss, he screamed. Even with a hole where his left lung used to be, he screamed. He felt it, and he kept feeling it. The world was all fuzzy, but it still hurt. It hurt so much. And when Michaels was carried away by a squad who simply didn't know what else to do with the man, the screams and the moans of the others echoed around the warehouse. All those with lead in their chests, heads, arms, legs, lungs, hearts, feet, eyes, they writhed in in the clutches of life. On that day, the reaper laid down his scythe, turned in his shroud, bid farewell to the masses, and quietly retired. So this is supposed to show why living forever would be horrible. Mm Mm-hmm. The first one is someone who can't remember their own children. Yeah, but 
is still like even as they try to kill him can is still alive and then yep. the other and being the second is an anomalous gun that just kind of erases parts of you backfired mm-hmm. and erased most of him and yeah. he won't die he won't die so he's just like in and in literally eternal pain and just like eternal not having half of his body yeah so might want to get I the like knife my friend hub i like this cannon <laughs> so, um i like it was death. not fun not fun. but okay it kind of one is gonna be there, there's a there's a slightly fun aspect to it sorta i guess i mm-hmm. guess it's I it, guess. look we'll go with it's interesting all right it's, it's interesting let's go with that yeah hey everyone uh thanks for listening to another episode of the secure contained podcast um this episode was episode six tales and the second half is going to seem more like it's tail as it's one tail the whole time. It's titled The Shape of a Gun, and uh, that's going to be a really fun one to do. But first, um, I'd like to promote just our accounts. We have a Twitter at scpodcastshow or twitter.com slash scpodcastshow. We also have a Patreon if you want to support us. Uh, $1, the lowest level donation, um, gives you a shout out uh, on the next episode of the show that we record. And the $5 tier offers you Discord rolls and cut content. I've moved the cut content down from the $10 tier to the $5 tier because I felt like $10 a month was just too much for cut content episodes every so often. So you get, in addition to a shout-out, you get uh, access to a Patreon-only section of the Discord and uh, all episodes of cut content, bonus episodes, mini-episodes that we produce, which will all eventually be public, but it'll be a while before they are. Um... As I mentioned, we have a Discord. That link is on our Twitter. Um, I could read it here, but and I've read it in a couple of the past episodes, but I don't think it's worth it to read it here. It's just kind of long and just a series of letters. Um, if you would like to inquire about a higher donation, a single-time donation, uh, sponsorship, promotional message, or personal message, please email us at scpodcastofficial at gmail.com. And thanks to Kevin MacLeod for providing our music under the title Twisting. And... That should be it. Let's get back to a single reading of a tale that I'm pretty sure I did the whole time. All right. Um, the next one, which is going to be one that we do um, before moving on to a big one, is also from a canon, and I just wanted to read it because I remembered it existed. It's from the Apotheosis one, which is like kind of rapid evolution or like magic or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a woman that I think like her arms became kind of guns. And then, like, anything that shot off became ammunition yeah. and healed. Yeah, I remember uh, that. It was kind of fluid. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, this is called The Shape of a Gun. Give me a moment. Monica Pinkston hefted her 150-pound rotary-fire grenade cannon over her shoulder and side, surveying the smoldering wreckage of the building in which she had been imprisoned less than an hour ago. So, this is that. this is that lady. Smoke rose from its roof as the fires burned. Alarms blared in the distance. From the top of the hill, Monica had a good vantage point on the valley below. She knew she could shell the entire site right from where she stood and reduce so much vapor and ash. She knew she could take great vengeance upon everyone inside, delivered through the barrels of a hundred guns. There was a small and dying part of her that wanted to. But the rest of her didn't want to. Her heart had too many charred and broken corpses clinging to it already. She let go of her gun and it fell out of reality rather than to the ground. She turned her back on what remained of her prison and walked away. After half an hour of walking through rocky screen and dry trees, Monica realized she was not in Manhattan. She admonished herself for not stealing a car on the way out, or a helicopter. She sat down on the softest-looking rock she could find inside. She had no survival skills, no equipment, 
no food, and no transportation. She had no idea where she was, and worst of all, she was nowhere near alone as she wanted to be. Uh, then it says there was something inside her. That's a hyperlink to the SCP that um, is also part of the hub, the thing, the tree or whatever that grants the godlike powers. Yeah, I think we we covered it before. Yeah, we did. Listen to the last episode. Um, mm-hmm. Now that her heart had slowed and her freedom was won, her mind started to work in the absence of more pressing matters. The echoes of the last hour reverberated through her, turning her bones to syrup. She fought back the urge to puke. One hour ago, Monica had been named D-77777. This had made her somewhat noteworthy in the minuscule community to which she had become accustomed. Lucky Sevens, they'd called her. Her natural tendency was to stay invisible, learned from a life of being hammered down like the lone nail whenever she stood out. But a computer somewhere had elected to make her inescapably noticeable, with five black sevens embedded in the orange of her back like so many fish hooks. So people naturally assumed that she had to be interesting, that fate had selected her to be something special. So they gravitated to her like moons around a planet. Monica was critically aware of how inaccurate all this was. She was a normal girl from a shitty neighborhood, too clever to be satisfied with what she had, but not clever enough to know when to stop. A long-standing petty criminal with daddy issues, mommy issues, money issues, anger issues, and plenty more. Just another stupid, regrettable sob story among millions in modern America. A crater left over from some teenage catastrophe. But no. For some reason, you could talk to Lucky Sevens. Sevens was quiet and would listen. Sevens gave good advice. Sevens was a quick study and knew how to survive. Sevens had made it through trial after trial without getting her face torn off or her guts melted or her brain sucked out. And she could probably show you how to do it too. Just stick with Sevens and you'll be alright. This had happened without her permission. But convincing the rest that she really was a shit piece waste of time, waste of skin, sorry, wouldn't have made anything better. So she kept her mouth shut and did her best. Then the lab coats brought her here. They put that goo on her arm. Then everything was different all at once. Her body and mind collapsed. She was no longer her own self. She became a cup of her own soul being drunk by something very thirsty. And then it had pissed her back out. This had happened over the course of a few seconds. Nothing told her explicitly that she had gained enormous power and that she needed to use that power to escape. The message didn't come in words. It was like smoke and iron fillings in her bud, blood. She felt things. Fi- fi- iron filings. I. She felt things she had never learned the words for. The thing that was using her body like a tr- cheap armament that had taken something from her. She knew it. She didn't know what, but it was gone. Something was gone, and in its place had been left an arsenal. It had taken all her frustration, all her hatred, all her misery and doubt and blackened determination, everything that she was as a human person, and smelted into a shape. The shape that had hammered her life to pieces and defended the shards again and again. The shape that represented what she was to the world. The shape of a gun. She had thousands now. Millions. Pistols, rifles, grenade launchers, howitzers, cruise missiles, and other things that the human animal had not been able to imagine. Great expanses of black powder, rivers of bullets, and endless fields of firearms now resting in a space just behind her own life. And she had used them to escape. And they had tried to stop her. But every impact of their bullets upon her skin was just a hammer driving down on the blasting cap of her soul. Her rage detonated against the ne- their need to keep her still, and they died trying to make it so. Her body had become a divine bomb, a celestial landmine. She understood none of it. She had just acted. She had no time to see if anyone else could come with her. She had been too dangerous to be near. So she was alone, but for the thing that nestled deep within the superfluous folded meat of her body, the thing that spoke without speaking, the thing that told her only to live as needed. What Monica needed right now was a fucking cigarette. <laughs> she padded for a second and found the few that she managed to smuggle into the compound. All but one was broken, but for right now, one was enough. And then she realized that even with infinite firepower behind her, she didn't have a fucking lighter. And then there was a blowtorch in her hand. She gave up. 
Apparently, life was now literally what she made of it. She smoked on the rock and wondered whether she was going to die. Then she heard a sound, the warm sound of an engine, getting closer. She figured that makes sense. She had started with the element of surprise, but she hadn't killed everyone and hadn't destroyed everything. Now that they knew what to expect, they'd send their manhunters out, with better equipment and a better plan. They probably had snipers in the trees, zeroing in on her right now. Monica put her cigarette out and stood, walking forward into the clearing. She didn't care about being seen. Given what had already happened, she had no reason to expect they were capable of killing her anymore. Even if they could, it didn't matter. Monica had made the decision to die shooting before, and she had no issue with making it again. A black vehicle, some kind of dune buggy. Fat tires, exposed metal skeleton. There was only one person in it. She held her file. Fire. Even after everything these people had put her through, Monica refused to shoot first. The man got out. He was tall and tan. Muscular. Military short hair. A paint-by-numbers cutout of every action movie protagonist ever, all in black body armor. He smiled in a way that made her want to hit him and held his hands up. Easy. I just want to talk. Monica's right arm became an enormous mechanized bastardization larger than her own body. She aimed its iron fist at him and the barrel on the wrist glowed red-orange. The air hummed and thickened with exhaust from the pipes jutting out of her shoulder. She replied, Okay, I want to vaporize your ass with this fucking laser. But let's let you go but I'll let you go first, Jack Boots. Talk. He kept his hands where they were. I'm not here to try to bring you back. Monica whistled. Wow, that's pretty fucking smart, Henrik, considering the situation and all. His smile faded. I understand why you'd want to kill me. I'd probably want to kill me, too. Do you believe in second chances, Miss Pinkston? She showed her te him her teeth. Fuck you. I think you do. I've read your file. I know about most of the shit you've been through. Where you come from. Who's hurt you and who you've hurt. I have a pretty good idea where you'd be if no one ever gave you another shot. She took a few steps forward and brought her titanic fist to within inches of his forehead. She could see the sweat on his skin cast in the molten light from the laser's aperture. Telling me how much you know about my life is really bad for your health right now, you Nazi motherfucker. He swallowed, but kept his eyes on hers. Here's the deal. I'm only alive now because I got the sense to stay on the winning side. I know what's going on out there. The Foundation is losing. I'm not a loser, and now neither are you. I have wheels, equipment, money, contacts, information. You've been out of the system for years, Monica. Unless you want to make a monster out of yourself, you need my help. All you have to do is not shoot me. Monica looked into his eyes, blue and cold, and made a choice. There's an image here of a, what appears to be a burning city. I don't know what city. It kind of looks like like uh, London. A mix between like Victorian and like modern day. Yeah, it does seem kind of like that. All right. Um, Queen of Spades, the Baroness, the Baroness of Old Vegas, watched as a floating blob of black plasma dissolved a mailbox a few feet from her head. This might be a different person. Yeah, I think she rolled a, away from the growing, glittering slime and stood, directing the row of artillery cannons behind her to fire upon the scrawny dickhead at the end of the street. Maybe not. The huge guns rattled the pavement and spat their shells down the block. A pseudopod of shiny black slime flicked up from the pool, devouring the ground and swallowed them, erasing the explosive shots as though they had never existed. Monica said, Why does this little shithead have to show up every time we get this zone clear? It's like he has nothing better to do. Motherfucker, we need a hobby. Jake said through her earpiece, Beats me. We'd all prefer if you killed him, I think. I know Dozer is getting tired of repaving the roads. Monica dismissed the artillery cannons and summoned a battery of six surface-to-surface missile packs. She fired them all simultaneously, sending no less than 120 high-explosive missiles shrieking through the air towards the irritating freak. <laughs> well, why don't you tell Dozer that he can drag his fat ass out here and he can try to earthbend this fuckhole into an early grave himself, huh? 119 of the missiles were swallowed out of reality by writhing tentacles of black sludge, but one of them found its mark. The pale man wrapped himself in an orb of the dark gunk to shield him from the fire, and the rest of the stuff began to retreat, leaving carved furrows in the ground where it had been. 
Drake replied. Got him. Press the advantage. The queen was starting to sweat. She was reaching the mass limit. Enough was enough. No more evacuated districts. No more scared families. This fucker had to die. Part of her was going to miss him. The perfectly black sludge with its somehow distantly sparkling stars was almost pretty if you ignored the fact that it endless, effortlessly devoured everything it touched. It's the hunger. The black orb at the end of the street gathered itself up and hurled more levitating globs at her. They traveled slowly, quietly obliterating traffic lights, lampposts, and fire hydrants as they advanced. Monica extended a hand towards the sky and moved nowhere, calling it her coupe de grace. The showstopper. That's in bold, yellow, big text. <laughs> the air above the intruder wrenched in a way that was horrible to look at, and a thunderclap cracked the sidewalks as a colossal tower of churning metal appeared in the sky. It blocked out the sun, howling and smoking and torturing, torturing the air with its heat. The bottom end of the hovering citadel of dark iron glowed a ferocious white-orange, dripping molten metal which fell a hundred feet and splashed upon the blacktop. The enormous machine was barely able to contain its own energy, so she let it out. A deafening hum rang through the city like the chime of a great bell as the column of space below the orbital cannon transformed into a line of orange light. It punched into the earth and obscured everything from view, blinding and terrible, vaporizing everything in its path. Hot wind poured away from laser and washed over Monica, searing her invincible flesh in a way that was tantamount to the orgasmic. This was destruction. This was the fire of the gods. Then it stopped. The light disappeared, and with it went the showstopper, the pale freak, and all his miserable hungry slime, leaving only a smoking molten shaft in the ground where he had been. Monica swayed, mumbled, I think I got him, and passed out. She awoke in stages. Her entire body felt like it had been punched by one big fist, and her brain was full of rubber cement. There was someone near her, so she mumbled, what happened? Jake's smile was above her. Morning, your majesty. You pulled the showstopper on Void Boy. I'm not sure if he was able to teleport away before getting melted. Dozer's mad at you. Apparently punched you punched through a buried sewer main. Monix sat up, blinking. Dozer can suck my dick. Jake laughed. I'll, pack that, I'll pass that along. How do you feel? She blinked some more and looked around. She was in the Oasis' treatment center in a private room. Dim lights, bad walls, no decorations. But the equipment worked, there was an electricity, and she had hired actual doctors that were willing to do their work in Old Vegas, despite the inherent danger. Like one big bruise. Head hurts. Can I have some water? Jake handed her a glass from a nearby counter, and she drank greedily. She set the glass down and was silent, looking down at her hands. The large man frowned. Something wrong? Monica shook her head. No, not really. It's just strange. What? She smiled. A year ago, you were a site security captain for the fucking Foundation, and I was one of your prisoners. Now I'm some kind of bullshit wizard mutant, de facto brute force mayor of Las Vegas, and you're running an entire town while keeping my dumbass alive. And we fight supervillains. You fight supervillains. I stay very far away from the supervillains and give you occasional advice. She nodded absently and stretched. Speaking of which, did you learn anything useful yesterday about the whatever? He made an apologetic expression. No. Turned out to be a dead end. Guy only had level 2 security clearance when he left. I don't know what that means. There's five levels. The higher your clearance, the more you're allowed to know. I was level three, and I only ever got hints and heavily redacted reports. So level two guy isn't going to know anything we don't already know. What'd you do with him? Offered him a, an apartment in the wreck. He looked at me like I was a giant spider. Said he'd rather take his chances in the desert. Monica scoffed. Some people just don't want help. I think some people don't want to live in the ruins of a city populated almost entirely by mutants and mutant sympathizers. The nerve. We even have running water sometimes, and we're really nice people. <laughs> no, I'm really nice people. You're a big meanie. The Queen of Spades gasped. You take that back. Nope. Come on, let's get some food in you, champ. 
They walked away together, one silently in love, the other glad to be alive. Monica had accepted the role of totalitarian ruler foisted upon her by the citizenry, but she staunchly refused many of the expected perks that went with it. She insisted on taking her meals in the Oasis cafeteria with everyone else and tried to eat with different people every time. The dining hall obeyed the same rules as any other communal mealtime location. There were cliques, and segregation was common. There was no post and ordinance requiring mutants and non-mutants to stay separate, but they often did regardless. Human nature continued to assert itself. The queen stood at the end of the hall with her tray in hand and looked around. Jake had left her to attend to some business, and so she had to decide who she was going to eat with today. Near her was Dozer, the burly, bearded construction worker who had received the most fitting mutation she had ever heard of. He used his earth-moving power to dig out ruins, shift debris, and lay fresh pavement and concrete. Without him and his building crew, Old Vegas would have collapsed months ago. He sat with his workers and laughed heartily at a joke someone told. He had an egg in his beard, but he had egg in his beard, but no one told him because the maintenance men thought that kind of thing was hilarious. Another table further down was occupied by the Spookies, a small group of like-minded men and women with an array of strange mutations that made them stealthy or quick. Monica had made them her scouts and spies, and they did the job with quiet efficiency. One kept fading in and out of sight, having yet to learn to control her invisibility. Another was also hard to see. He kept himself wreathed in dense shadows to cope with his social anxiety. A third had a great number of multicolored eyes placed all around her face and twitched frequently, able to see through walls for miles in all directions. They engaged in hushed conversations, choosing to keep their secrets from all but the queen. Further along were the fighters, the few mutants with, dest the few mutants with destructive powers <laughs> rivaling Monica's own. There were maybe nine of them, and while they were all decent enough people, most of the others were at least a little afraid of them. One had been mutated to be utterly enormous, over nine feet tall, with cherry red skin and large tusks. He had taken the nickname Ogre, but was known to be a sweetheart despite his fearsome appearance. Another had thorns and leafy branches going from her skin. She was perilously poisonous, and Monica had seen her regenerate from being blown to pieces by an anti-tank rocket. She wore pads on any very exposed inch of skin to avoid, to avoid accident accidentally envenoming anyone. A third had glowing blue veins under his skin and was doing tricks for the other's amusements, making silverware dance in the air with electromagnetism. He was capable of producing terrifying amounts of electricity and once supplied with power to the entire districts when a generator bank had gone down. And one table, all the way at the end, was occupied by a loner, Norman. Norman's mutations were among the most dramatic that Monica had ever seen. He was a confusing, borderline terrifying mess, a disgusting amalgamation of flesh and exposed organs which levitated in the air, orbited by dozens of lazily floating disembodied heads, each with an eye in the palm. This is the guy. This is this was the guy in the test. Oh, yo. Parts of him constantly warped in and out of visible space, appearing and reappearing. Multiple copies of himself as he had looked before his mutation also made occasional appearance, popping into space and then fading away. Echoes of his former self, which he used to sit at the table and take bites of his meal, while his huge main body hovered, ominous and frightening, over the table. Just looking at Norman for too long gave most people a headache. Their minds recoiled at his very existence. People left him alone, unsure of how to approach him, much less engage him in conversation. Some had tried, but found it hard to eat with an undifferentiated, pulsating mass of human flesh literally looming over their heads. He only ate in the cafeteria a few times a month, teleporting into the room suddenly and then warping away when his meal was finished. Monica had no idea where he went or where he stayed but he w when he wasn't around. He had only been coming to the Oasis for a few months. He and Monica had been imprisoned at the same time, at the same site, and she remembered him being a quiet, contemplative guy before his transformation. He sh and she supposed that still held true, but she wasn't really sure. She felt horribly for him, and made a point as mayor to eat with him whenever he was around. She approached the table into the outer orbit of floating hands, some of which turned to look at her with their many-colored eyes. None touched her as she came closer. 
They simply disappeared before d disappeared before coming in contact. She placed her tray directly in front of his, one of his fuzzy, out-of-focus clones and sat, looking in at his eyes. How are you today, Norm? There was a brief silence. The clone's vacant eyes looked at hers without looking into them, and Monica felt a strange pulse move, her, move through her body. I'm alright. The wind is rich and full of secrets today. I saw you fight the void thrower. Norman's voice, if it could be called that, was difficult on the ears. He spoke with many voices at once, and sometimes conveyed meaning by directly injecting images or sensations into others' minds when words weren't enough. It was a pro profoundly surreal and sometimes upsetting experience, but Monica had gotten used to it. She did her best to keep her composure and nodded, keeping her eyes on her tray to avoid looking at the dead-eyed clone in front of her. Its mouth didn't move when Norman spoke. Yeah, I'm not sure he'll come back. I went the extra mile. You didn't kill him. I was nearby. I tried to hold him down when you fired your laser, but he escaped. He's very strong. This was unprecedented. Norman didn't make a habit of involving himself directly with life in Old, in old Vegas, much less participate in the fighting. Do you know anything about him? Who is he? Where he came from? And more importantly, why he keeps trying to murder everyone. The clone disappeared abruptly, then reappeared on, reappeared on her right with its tray in tow. It continued eating. A second one had also materialized at the far end of the table, apparently not doing anything. He has a strange mind, few cohesive thoughts, a great amount of darkness, hard to find information through the shadows and hatred. He appears to only want murder and destruction. I'm not sure he is alone within himself. Monica raised an eyebrow and said around a mouthful of egg, Not alone? What do you mean? I mean that he might not be the only inhabitant of his body. I think his mutation opened some kind of gate and something came through. Something mean. But I don't know for sure. It's just a theory. I would have to get close, closer to dig deeper into him, and that would probably be bad for my health. Do you think he can be killed? I think I'd like to kill him, considering <laughs> he keeps trying to kill us. I think you would need something to gum up the space around him, to stop him from warping away. I can do that, but not powerfully enough to hold him. I would need some help from someone else, and I don't know anyone with the same kind of magic. Monica nodded, frowning in thought. Huh. Neither do I. You know, the more I hang with you, the more I like you, Norman. You're a nice guy, even if you are kind of terrifying. There was the sound of laughter made echoing and awful by Norman's many voices, but he made up for it with an image of sunshine and happy, colorful flowers and a feeling of pleasant warmth which he shoved directly into her mind without her permission. I'm an ugly bastard, but I prefer to think I make up for it with my glowing and handsome personality. A thought occurred to her as he ate. You can just totally look through... Look all through my brain, can't you, Norman? It wasn't a question. Yes, it's not something I do on purpose. Imagine walking through a museum and being told that if you think about looking at the beautiful paintings, you'll be punished. That doesn't really help with the creepiness. Heavy gray clouds gathered in her mind and a sad, soft rain began to fall. There was a sound of distant crying and the flurring of wings. I, I'm sorry, Monica. I can't help what I am. And if it makes you feel better, your secrets are safe with me. If I had lips, they'd be sealed. She shook her head. No, Norm, it's fine. You're fine. Just takes a little getting used to is all. You probably understand that way better than I do. The rain didn't stop. It's hard. I was given great gifts, but a lot of things were taken from me, too. I would never go back to what I was, but sometimes I think I would give almost anything, too. The words didn't come, but Monica knew what he meant. She had no choice but to know. You should come around more often, Norm. You don't have to stay away and be a stranger. You've got it worse than the rest of us, but we're all changed too, and we can empathize at least a little bit. You're valuable, not just as a tactical asset, but as a person. You don't have to be alone. You have a family, right here. You just have to give us a chance. A spear of sunlight stabbed through the clouds in Monica's mind. There was a smell of fresh wind and sound of proudly rustling trees. That makes me feel better. But you are who you are for a reason, Monica. And so am I. But it's good to know that of all people, 
You were given what you were given. I, Norman froze. Every part of him stopped abruptly. No pulsing, drifting, no phasing. Perfect stillness. He was silent. Monica opened her mouth to ask him what was wrong, but he interrupted her. Lightning crashed in her head. Images of terror, agony, and chaos flickered across her vision uncontrollably. His voice was loud as thunder, exploding through the minds of everyone in the oasis simultaneously. The cold blue glow that Norman became, gave became torches in red. Soldiers, hundreds, entering the wreck district from the western gate. Guns, armor, war machines. It is the foundation. They've come for us. Their commander intends to capture the citizens of Old Vegas and kill all who resist. We must defend. We must defend our home now. The cafeteria immediately began to swarm with activity. Voices cried out. There was confusion and growing panic. Norman spoke directly to her. I will provide a telepathic communications network. Uh, yes. I will provide a telepathic communications network. Instruct your defenders to think through me. I will access and reveal the minds of the enemy. But first I will banish these heli their helicopters from my sky. Be strong, my queen. Lead us to victory. M Norman disappeared. Monica slammed her fist on the table and stood. The room immediately fell silent to hear her words. All fighters report to battle stations. Team captains, use Norman to coordinate with their troops and muster all defenders at the western gate. Maintenance squadron, dig in 200 yards back from 55th Street and break the road. Stop those fucking tanks. Spookies, get out there and get eyes on the intruders. I want status reports every 10 fucking minutes. Combat squadron, get the fuck topside and go into flanks formation. No more drills, people. Let's show these limp dick Nazi shitfucks why you can't fuck with old Vegas. The room exploded in a roar of defiance, loud enough to rattle the concrete and quake the hearts of the foundation. Gosh, I'm really sniffly today. Monica stood at the end of 55th Street and watched as foundation troops float in, taking attack formations. They held their fire. Behind her, she had summoned a thick hedgerow of artillery cannons squared upon the soldiers in back. They outnumbered the old Vegas defenders three to one. They stood in lines in thick armor and gas masks. Their tanks, heavy and armored, idled at the edge of the block, unable to traverse wide cracks in the pavement put there by Dozer and his engineers. Their commander, a tall man with no mask, spoke aloud. Attention, mutants and mutant sympathizers. It is with a heavy heart that we come to you today. The Foundation cannot allow the inhuman infestation to continue to spread. For the benefit of all of humanity, we ask that all mutants present, present lay down their arms and surrender to be contained for their own safety and the safety of the world. I imagine I do not need to explain what will happen if you choose to resist. Please, for the good of all, good of us all, do the right thing and let this go. The Queen of Spades, Mayor of Old Vegas, stood there at the fore, her people behind her. Dozer, his body coated in a layer of shifting flowing stone, cracked his huge fists together loudly. His engineers shouted, rattling the earth underneath their feet. Ogre roared and swung his enemy's enormous steel club into the ground, splintering the pavement. The mutant defenders behind his red bolt cried out with him. Norman hovered eldritch and horrible above them all, gazing downward with hundreds of eyes, feeding the queen the commander's innermost plans as he thought them and provided the defenders the profound unity of being able to think with one mind. And Jake was just behind her, quiet and calculating, his assault rifle trained directly upon the Foundation commander's head. Norman cried out, letting Norman broadcast her words directly into the minds of the Foundation soldiers. We will never submit to your tyranny. We are different, but we are still people, and we will die for the right to remain free. Come and bring your hate. Bring me your conquest. Push upon us enemies of liberty and know our defiance. We will turn you back. We are the free state of Vegas, and we will not be moved. The free men and women thundered their pride, their yearning to live, their right to li thrive, and stood upon the ground. And Monica let herself be wielded by the heart of her people, her soul forged into the shape of the tool they needed to defend their homes and lives from those who would have taken them. The shape of a gun. I want to make that, that was... a fucking huh? movie. That, oh yeah, my this god. Whole, the, just, just call it Old Vegas. I would love, holy shit. 
dude. Yeah, also, this was longer than I thought. Yeah, okay, so we're <laughs> probably going to stop with that then, but oh my god, yeah. that was well, fucking amazing. <laughs> yeah, we had one more lined up, but it's also kind of long, and uh, it requires to read an SCP as well, so we'll just do that some other time. Yeah, um, we'll, we'll deal with that later. But yeah, yeah. no, that was, uh, I really hope you were reading along with that, because that, that was that was really yeah. good. I really Reading along that. or plan to in the future, because that was... That's a good that's story. Great. That's a, that's a good yeah. book in and, and of that's itself. The, that's the starting story of this canon, and I think there's more. I, there's got to be more. because It they, looks like there, there are, yeah. There's, there's more, yeah. So I, I'm going to read that sometime. We're yeah. going to do an episode on it eventually. Yeah. Definitely. We well, have it was, to. It was also cool because it kind of like, you know, when we w- were reading that one SCP um, that gave, like you said, the kind of rapid mutation, it was kind of interesting because you know you always think of i think it's d-class people that are like oh they're just test subjects it's whatever who cares um and from the way that the scp mapped them out that kind of painted them like that but in having this tale here uh almost gives them a, a, their own story it gives them a, a sort of meaning behind them so they're not just faceless test subjects um, yeah that's a big thing in a lot of the tales like this it's really cool it's <laughs> like humanizing them mm-hmm. which is great and I love it, and so the last second half of this episode has just been one single tale, so that's going to be fun. Yeah, don't uh, hate it very much. But mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, I would have suggested. I I was going to mention earlier that you read along, but you know it's a little late for that now. If, go go back and read it on your own. Honestly, this is yeah, it was really good. That's a, I, I like that. That that one is called the Shape of a Gun from the Apotheosis Hub, mm-hmm. um, which was the winner of the Doomsday Contest. Uh like sim- some symbol i forget k class scenario apotheosis or whatever yeah which is where okay have these things mm-hmm. yeah so uh once again um this has been the Wait. secure contain uh, yeah. also follow us on twitter uh support us on patreon if you want we're going to be uploading cut <laughs> content and bonus episodes there mm-hmm. um which is fun we might do a bonus episode um sometime soon yeah and cut content i've got some use- usefulness i've yeah. also got uh there's definitely gonna be a section never mind Okay. <laughs> there's gonna be I'm a section. Never I'm mind. Saving that idea because I don't actually okay. know if there's enough of it. Um, okay. um, but yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So join the, our Discord, all that. Mm-hmm. All, all our, it's on our stuff. It's, it's on our Twitter. Probably SC podcast show. Well. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So th- this episode, obviously, we went over tales. They are just stories based off of other things that yep. are canon. Um, and this was like a less casual version of the joke SCP episode where we just read uh-huh. things the whole time. Yeah. Um, I once again, um, half of the episode was just <laughs> reading that. Uh, but I like one that, single so. tale, but it was good. It's a good tale. And there's lots of tales on the site. So if you're looking for lots good. of things to read, yeah, there's a lot. <laughs> just go for that. But yeah, there's a lot. So, yeah, so once again, this has been the Secure Contained Podcast. Uh, I am your co-host, David. I'm your co-host, Soren. And we will see you next time. Bye. See you next time.